if you issue the currency and you tax and borrow exclusively in that currency, you are never in a position to be able to go uh, broke. You can never run out of your own currency, the currency that you have the exclusive right to create at will. This is Wine, Women, and Revolution with your host, Heather Warburton. Hi, and welcome to Wine, Women, and Revolution. I'm your host, Heather Warburton. Tonight's going to be something a little bit different for me. I don't usually do sort of topical shows. I more just do deep dives into things that interest me. But this one tonight, it's something, you know, obviously we're kind of in the middle, beginning middle of a global pandemic. And obviously I'm not an expert on the medical side of it, but I have met quite a few people in the economics world. And this is someone that I'm gonna be interviewing tonight who I've had on before. Uh, His name is Jeff Ginter. Welcome back to the show, Jeff. Hi, thank you. So when you were on last time, we did a really deep dive on modern monetary theory. We could have gone deeper. (laughs) But I think we broke it down fairly well. So I'm going to link that to anyone that's listening. So you can go back and listen to that too. But for tonight, I kind of want to talk about how that relates to all the economic turmoil we're now experiencing because of the coronavirus. There's a lot of economic concern and instability in the world right now. And I wouldn't say that modern monetary theory is exactly a prescriptive, but we need to understand kind of how the monetary system really works to know how we can get out of the economic turmoil we find ourselves in. Absolutely. And I think you hit the nail on the head when you're talking about prescriptive, because not only does that tie in well with the healthcare crisis, but it also really opens up the conversation to what is MMT. MMT as, uh, as a body of work, as a scholarly body of work, as currency analysis is just that. It explains how the economy actually functions, where money is created and how it's created, and who has the authority to create it, how does it circulate throughout the economy, and where does money come to meet its ultimate end. With that knowledge, once you understand how that really functions, now you can get into prescriptions. What do you want to do with that knowledge? My friend Jeff Epstein says, it's wonderful to have medical knowledge and you can use that knowledge to create you know, Nazi experiments and destroy lives, or you can use it to cure disease. It's just knowledge. The application of it is going to determine whether or not the outcome is good or bad. Uh, so with that in mind, money, uh, the MMT simply describes the currency as it stands. If you are a a federal government, a sovereign nation, and you have 100% monetary sovereignty, your policy options are drastically different than if you are a nation that does not enjoy full monetary sovereignty, or if you're a state or a municipality that doesn't have it at all. So the first question is, what is monetary sovereignty? You have monetary sovereignty if you first create your own currency, if you tax and borrow exclusively in that currency, uh, if you do not have a currency peg, you know, like a gold standard, artificially saying that every dollar that you make is going to be equal to something else. Uh, And if you uh, additionally 
um, uh, float your exchange relative to other currencies. You do these four things and you have complete monetary sovereignty. And the U.S. happens to have monetary sovereignty. <laughs> 100% monetary sovereignty. Canada, the U.S., the U.K., uh, Australia, Japan, New Zealand, uh, Europe. You know, most of the countries of Europe gave up their monetary sovereignty. You know, if you ever hear someone say that you, the U.S. can't spend like crazy, it'll wind up like Greece. <clears throat> Sorry, Greece when it was on the drachma, you know, before the early 90s when it adopted the euro, it had a debt, you know, uh, situation, but it wasn't a debt problem because if you issue the currency and you tax and borrow exclusively in that currency, you are never in a position to be able to go uh, broke. You can never run out of your own currency, the currency that you have the exclusive right to create at will. Doesn't mean you should spend as much as you want for as long as you want. You do have constraints. They're just not financial constraints. The constraints that you actually have exist in the real economy. Let's take Medicare for all as an example, healthcare. People say that it's so expensive. You know, it is definitely that. But the question is who is going to be paying? If it's going to be a for profit corporation, or a state, or a municipality, or you, or me, or anyone that does not create their own currency and have 100% monetary sovereignty, you're in a bit of a pickle because you have to somehow find the money. You have to earn the money, borrow the money, steal the money, somehow acquire it before you can spend it. If you are the monetary sovereign, you don't have that issue. What you do have is a condition that says, I want to be able to spend money on healthcare. First question, how good do I want to spend? How good do I want that healthcare to be? Do I not give a shit about my people? Then I'll spend just a little bit. Do I really love my people and I care about their well-being and I recognize that a healthy population is a strong, vital population that will be able to uh, make the greatest economy in the world and the greatest workforce in the world? And we, if we understand all these things, then healthcare becomes a priority. Next question becomes, what does it take to do healthcare like this? Well, it takes doctors, it takes nurses, you need facilities and hospitals, clinics, you need laboratories, you need lab equipment, you need medical equipment, you need all these things, EMTs, the list is long. So the question is, do we have the stuff? Because if we do, then we can simply finance it through federal appropriations, they decide on a spending bill, they sign it into law, and the uh, Treasury and the Federal Reserve coordinate to issue the payments to those relevant uh, companies that will be receiving it. And we get health care. Right. And I think the important thing is taxes are not what's funding spending. That 100%. That is not how things work. So now when we're in the situation where the economy is free fall, collapsing, and you hear, oh, we're spending $1.5 trillion on this, or the stimulus package is going to be a trillion dollars. Every day, we're going, the feds are going to pump another trillion dollars into Wall Street. This isn't taxpayer money that's really funding this. Mm-hmm. 100%. You know, so the first thing to, to understand is if, we, if the federal government doesn't need taxes to fund its spending, why does it 
tax at all because the state government does need to tax you as revenue. The state of New Jersey does need to tax and borrow to be able to do whatever spending it wants to do for whatever programs it wants to make. It is not monetarily sovereign. It uses the sovereign's currency. So it does need the tax and borrow. But the federal government taxes you to make sure that you have an obligation. If you need to pay, to pay your taxes and the, the consequences of not paying your taxes are so severe that you don't even want to consider you know, not paying your taxes. You don't want to have them garnish your wages. You don't want to have them confiscate your property. You don't want them to put you in prison. If you don't want those things to happen, then you're going to have to pay your taxes. And the tax is only discharged in the unit of account of the federal government, U.S. dollars. You must somehow, some way, get U.S. dollars in order to be able to pay your tax. Now, everyone is in that same boat because there's a lot of different types of taxes out there. You have a house, you owe taxes. You want to buy groceries, well, there's a tax on that. You want to be able to buy clothes, well, there's a tax on that. There's a tax on a wide variety of things. And as long as there is sufficient tax obligations across the board and everyone is somehow feeling it, either because you owe the tax or because everyone else, you may, you may pay no taxes directly, but you want to buy goods and services and everyone you buy goods and services from does pay taxes and they need U.S. dollars and they're only going to sell their labor. They're only going to sell their goods and services for U.S. dollars. It is the tax that drives the value of U.S. dollars. As long as the federal government retains the ability to tax, then everyone will demand U.S. dollars. That is all they need to do to be able to make sure that their currency is valuable and in demand. When we find ourselves in times of crisis, like we are now, you know, that mm -hmm. the economy is in free fall, that yep. it's almost an obligation of the government to spend what's needed to make sure that people still exist so that they have can have the demand for that dollar to pay those taxes. I would... I would say that the only thing that was wrong with what you said is you used the word almost. It's not almost an obligation. It's in the Constitution. You know, they are mandated in several spots, including Article 1, Section 8, where they derive their powers to tax and mint and all the financial powers they gave themselves to spend on the general welfare. You know, they are there to secure the general welfare. So, yeah, it is their responsibility. They created the tax, which made us need the dollar, which made unemployment. I used to be going around doing my own thing, and then suddenly I owe a tax obligation. Well, you know, what do you want that tax to be paid in? U.S. dollars. What's a U.S. dollar? It's the unit of account that I use. Well, I don't have any. Well, that's not a problem, says the U.S. government. I'm going to hire you. Because I need things. I'm the government. I need roads and I need bridges and I need schools and I need hospitals. I need to be able to pay my army. I need, by the way, I need guns and tanks and planes and I need people to make that stuff. So instead of putting you into slavery, I'm going to pay you. How much I'm going to pay you is going to be dependent. I can be generous. I can be stingy. But at the end of the day, I'm going to need part of that money back. So right now we need hospitals. 
We need yes. ventilators. Yes. We need masks. We need yes. <laughs> all these things desperately. Like you, and you the know? federal government can mandate it. It's not just a question of, hey, who out there wants to build these things for me? The federal government has the power to say to Mr. Power Plant over here, to Mr. Factory over here, you used to be making widgets. Now you're making respirators. Now you're making ventilators. Now you're making this. Now you're making that. And we're going to pay you. We're going to pay you good. You know, but what you used to be doing, no, 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 you're retooling. Don't worry about the cost. We'll cover the cost. You know, the federal government has the power to do that, and they have the power to make it painless, or they can simply issue the power and make it painful. Federal government can do anything at once, from the silly to the obviously necessary, and they can pay for it 100%, or you know, they can make it painful, and they can make you pay for it. And there's all manner of reasons, you know, why it may have to go somewhere down the middle. Again, it's about resources. This is one of the reasons why uh, the countries of Europe, you know, that do uh, universal health care, but don't do it 100% funded by the government. You know, there's all manner of reasons from political to actual resource availability and allocation. You know, you may want to have people pay a little bit, you know, just to make sure that they might not use it because they have to pay. You know, if you don't have the resource availability to just automatically make sure that everyone gets health care regardless, uh, if people are going to overtax that system, then maybe you need to be able to put in some safeguards, you know, put in a deductible, a copay, or something to be able to make sure uh, that people think twice before they go, that they only go when they really need to. And Insurance companies love deductibles, so a wonderful reason to include them in. But again, the federal government of the United States is not like that. They don't have to be. We have abundant resources. We have a lot of unemployment. We have a lot of hidden unemployment. We have a lot of underemployment, and that was before coronavirus. We have the facilities to be able to uh, put people to work in healthcare. There's a... <laughs> Hundreds, you know, I think we lost like a hundred rural hospitals, you know, in the last year or so, or the last couple of years. And there's what, like 400, you know, that are currently uh, slated to be closed if things really start to get bad. That's a lot of unused, underutilized capacity. There are whole swaths of population that need these, these uh, resources available. And all we have to do is just turn on the spigot decide that that's what we're going to do. It's a decision, the decision that is followed by legislation, that is followed by appropriation of the money, the money that the federal government creates, and they get to direct that any way they want. They can be, quote unquote, surgical with it, surgical with that spending, and open up as many facilities as they need to, as is available. And as long as those facilities are available in idle capacity, it is not inflationary. There is no inflationary uh, bias if the resources were unutilized or underutilized. So, so we could open up all these hospitals and to get the yeah. beds for people that are going to be ill yeah. from this disease. And yeah. why haven't we done that yet? <laughs> because they don't want to. It's, 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 simply be, it, it's simply a lack of will. You know, the, the very idea of Medicare for all takes power away from oligarchy. Any decision that is made 
that gives the decision-making power, real, honest decision-making power to an individual. And every time you guarantee a service, regardless of the cost, you have increased their power. You have increased their ability to say, you know what, I don't want to work in this job. I don't need the job for healthcare. I get healthcare no matter what. Uh, you have just given power to an individual and taken power away from people who really like power. They may not hate you or dislike you, but they want, they need you to be economically precarious so that you will accept anything they are willing to give you to, to shove down your throat. They want to be able to make worse working conditions. You feel you don't have any options. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? You know, you're not going to be able to tell your boss, fuck you. You're not going to be able you know, to go out on your own and be an entrepreneur. It's, it's not in the best interest of the ruling class to be able to do this. So they'll come up with any number of reasons to not do it. And the most effective reason is we don't have the money. It's because you understand, you, the individual, understand that you have to spend within your means. If you spend more than you take in, you're going to go down a slippery slope and you are eventually going to have to be bankrupt. If they can convince the country that that can happen to the country, then even though they may want that, pro that program, even though they think a federal job guarantee is amazing, even if they think that free college tuition is the way it should be, even if they want health care for everyone, they're not going to stand up and fight for it. What's the point? It's not possible. I want a Tesla. I want to be able to go to Disney uh, every couple of months because you know, may the force be with me. But I'm not going to bother even dreaming those dreams because I know that even though those things are available, they are there. I can go to Disney. I just can't go in. I can go to Tesla. I'm just not going to be able to buy anything. What's the point? You know, I'm not going to really try for those things. I know where my economic means are. And if you, if you apply that thinking to your federal government, then you are going to readily believe them when they say it's too expensive. It's too expensive. It's but too really, expensive. they're lying to us to make a, you 100%. know, to shorten it. They're, they're just lying to us and trying to convince Great us up. that a federal budget is like your household budget when it's yeah. just not in any way, shape yeah. or form. Yeah. When they, they, the, the big moneyed interests, you know, uh, that Joe Biden said we should not be paying attention to. And as soon as he needed them, invited them into his room, you know, and he gets all his money from them now. Uh, these people purchased Congress. They did it a long time ago, and they keep purchasing it. And there's a reason for that, because they want the laws that are going to be passed towards them, so that all this immoral criminal activity is actually, you know, they either get to make it legal, or they get to purchase the people that would you know, otherwise prosecute you and force you to stand down. There is actual criminal activity, you know, happening in the 2008 financial crash, and the people that committed it were able to tell the regulatory agencies and the federal government to stand down. They were able to tell the police, if I'm going to be able to go out and kill someone, and then I'm going to be able to go to the police and say, yeah, I did it, but stand down. Do not do anything about this. And if they did that, holy shit. <laughs> what does, right. You know, 
And this is the exact same thing. So there's a there's a reason they purchased the politicians. It was so they could get everything that they want. You know? And then they had to purchase the media to make sure that everything that gets published you know, is an overarching narrative that is very, very, very benign and beneficial to them and very hostile to anyone that wants to be able to challenge that power. And obviously... It's not that way 100% across the board. If you want to go on a Google search and search CNN in 2008 financial crash, you will find examples of them exposing corruption, of them talking about this, that, and the other. Same thing for New York Times and MSNBC and even Fox News. You know, we'll get it right once in a while. That's by design. They need to be able to take pot shots at themselves, but the Google search that you do will not put into context how many times they did it, what level of veracity they, they, they weighted it with. You know, did they put it in the A block or in the D block? Did they talk about it on Friday when most people are already thinking about the weekend and not paying attention? You know, was it on page 20 of the Washington Post or page one of the Washington Post? But if you go online, you find the stories, you'll see it. Oh, my God, of course they were talking about it. They're the good guys. Eh. Exactly. The lie that they want to sell you is much easier when they can surround it with enough truth to make your mind just calm down, calm down. It's not as bad as that. It's not as bad as that. It's not as bad as that. No, it's not as bad as that. It's worse than that. Right. <laughs> because you're buying it. So um, knowing what we know about yeah. modern monetary theory, knowing that we've been lied to, that we can we print money to sustain the general welfare of the country, what does that knowledge give us as ways that we could spend money to assist or ameliorate some of the pain of the situation we find ourselves in today? I know a federal job guarantee is something we usually talk about in MMT, yep. but what about, for example, the cash payouts that they're talk discussing now? Again, everything comes back to what is the situation you're faced with? What, what outcome are you looking to create? You know, so, yeah, you can say that a federal job guarantee is wonderful, but everyone has to stay home. So maybe, you know, that's not the way to go, except everyone needs to self-isolate. Doesn't mean everyone needs to stay home. You know, for the most part, everyone that can work from home should work from home. You know, and if your job doesn't have a means for you to do that, a federal job guarantee, you know, properly administered, will be able to still have productive work for you to do, uh, but you can do from home. And one of the things this pandemic is showing us is every hole we have in our economy, every weakness that we have in our supply chains, in our preparations, uh, it's <laughs> at this point, what we're going to be dealing with is simply mass unemployment. You know, the latest estimates, you know, put the potential top of unemployment at 30%. And I wouldn't stop there because it was just yesterday they were saying it was probably going to max out at 20%. So we're, we're talking unemployment that we haven't seen uh, since the Great Depression. And if it gets to 30%, that's worse than it was at the height of the Great Depression. So we're talking about a huge amount of supply being taken away. You know, people not being able to work, 
uh, either because they are themselves sick or because they are mandated to stay home. That's a lot of things not getting done. Uh, so first and foremost, we have to shore up those resources. We have to find a way to make sure that food is still produced, that it is still safely produced and safely shipped you know, and safely put into our grocery stores uh, so that people can still you know, find the food. Uh, we also need to expand our healthcare facilities. You know, yes, there's, there's a lot of hospitals that are closed, and those can simply be reopened. At the same time, you know, in the short term, there's a lot of hotels, you know, that have beds. You know, the federal government can simply, uh, you know, take them over. You know, take them over in the temporary. You know, have people, you know, self-isolate and sequester themselves there, and turn a lot of them into you know, makeshift hospitals, you know, if it is actually a question of we don't have enough beds, we don't have enough places to put people, well, there are other options. We're going to have to think outside the box. And only when you realize that it is resource allocation and not money that matters, you know, then you realize you're talking a whole different game. You know, so what are the actual problems? We need food. We need transportation. We still need to have medical, uh, uh, medical care. These are three of the most critical things, you know, because emergency vehicles and people that need to, to still get to the grocery store and get to hospitals, we need transportation. We're going to need to make sure that we have the resources to maintain, you know, these things for as long as we for as long as we need to. At on the first level, it is about resource allocation and shoring up those essential services that we need. Then what are the supplies? We need obviously we need paper. You know, obviously we need respirators. Obviously we need these things. And we foolishly took a lot of our manufacturing and shoved it overseas. You know, because it was cheaper. That made our supply chain very very long. You know, and if something goes wrong in a country that we don't have control over, uh, then suddenly all these things that we take for granted suddenly go away. So we need to be able to put into place, you know, the ability as we did in World War II when it became evident that we needed to be able to build tanks and bombs and planes. You know, we need to be able to uh, take some of the uh, manufacturing that we do still have here and retool it to make the things that we need domestically, you know, shortening that supply. And this should teach us that moving forward, we need to be able to make things in excess capacity. Because if you think this is the, the last pandemic we're ever gonna face, I'm sorry to tell you, climate change has got another thing for you. This one may not be climate change, but it's coming. And we've been dealing with worsening and worsening uh, illnesses, you know, I mean, Ebola, swine flu, SARS, you name it. Uh, it's been coming for a long time and now it's hit us and it hit us hard and we weren't ready for it. And we still have the ability uh, to do the things that are necessary to make sure that this doesn't devastate us. Right. And that is a lot of the supply chain issues. I was having a conversation with somebody and they're talking about how like in manuf the manufacturing that we do have, sometimes like the parts arrive like an hour before they're needed for the assembly. Like yeah. we're so like on the wide, like the very edge of keeping things going that there is none of those extra resources like well there there, there, there is the extra resource capacity 
because the, this is this is what they wanted you know when they wanted uh when they wanted private business to be the main driver of these things because it's more efficient you know it'll do things for lower costs it'll be more efficient you know that's what was sold and it's not like they're wrong per se the federal government can be just as efficient as anyone else. It can be run like a business if that's what you really want to do. God have mercy if that's what you really want to do, because I'm going to have to raise up an army and fight you. Uh, but to a private corporation, you do want those supplies to show up just in time. You don't want them to be wasting uh, precious time, precious labor, pressure this, pressure that, pressure space, whatever it happens to be. You want to be able to minimize your cost, and everything that is inefficient is a waste of your dollars. Uh, but the federal government is in no way, shape, or form obligated to save money. It needs to be able to be a good be a good steward of its resources, and part of its job is to protect its citizens. And part of that means preparing for a pandemic, preparing for catastrophe, which means we're going to have to have things in excess supply. If we had had Medicare for all, fucking Joe Biden saying Medicare for all wouldn't have helped us in this case. Screw that. If we had Medicare for all, that would have been ramping up production already, you know, for the for the entire population to be able to uh, to be able to have um uh, healthcare. There would have been hospitals opened all over the country. There would have been more doctors and nurses if we had done it properly and incentivized people to go into those uh, fields. We would have had this, the capacity, you know, maybe not the full capacity if everyone got sick all at once, but we would be well advanced, you know, of where we are right now. Uh, so again, you know, the federal government does not need to be efficient. Uh, no reason why it shouldn't be, but efficiency also needs to be redefined as what is the mission. And if the mission is preparedness, that means you must have things in excess supply. But you don't build those types of capacities when you need it. You build them so that they're there when you need it. That's what we're learning right now. And since we don't have that capacity, it's an interesting time to see, you know, where everyone is paying attention to what the federal government is spending and what they're not saying. You know, when they increase the military budget, some people pay attention. Most of the country doesn't, you know. But when we're, when we're talking about almost everyone going unemployed and the federal government is not lifting a finger to do it, but they are talking about a trillion dollars here, two trillion dollars here. Everyone's going to get a thousand dollars a month. Everyone's going to get this. Everyone's going to get that. You know, but no one's talking about how are you going to pay for it? They're just talking about doing it. Hopefully, we can seize this moment. You know, when everyone is paying it, or at least most people are paying attention to what is needed, what the federal government can do. You know, and hopefully, permanently eliminate the myth that the federal government has to raise taxes. The federal government's not talking about giving all this money and then taxing it. They don't need to raise money to get you that money. 
They don't need to borrow from China to get that money. They're just simply doing it. They are creating the money. They are appropriating it. When they decide to do it, it's signed into law. Boom. The money that didn't exist before now does. And I think is this is, where it goes. yeah, I think this is a great, you know, way of summing things up is we all this fear and uncertainty we're having right now could be so much less if we'd been oh, building 100%. these resources all along. 100%. If hospitals weren't already 95% full from just their day-to-day mm-hmm. injuries, we would have yeah. those extra measures. People wouldn't be afraid that a hospital may have to decide who gets a ventilator and who doesn't, like it happened in Italy. Huh? You know, we wouldn't mm-hmm. have, we would be sh- certainly still afraid of this virus because we've never yeah. seen a virus with quite this, you know, infection rate. I think I saw yeah. something like 1.2 million in Jersey here alone, possibly. Yeah. Like, That's a possibility. Doesn't mean everyone's going to get sick, but there's a good possibility that they will, you know, and even if they don't, Again, it's, it's not about whether or not you or get sick. It's about whether or not you spread it. It's got a two-week incubation. For God's sakes, you don't know anything about whether you have it or not until you start to feel symptoms. You picked it up on a Monday. The second Monday after that is when you start to start feeling sick, and you've been spreading it ever since. And whatever it is you touch, apparently also on fabric, on metal, mm-hmm. you know, if, the, if you have the virus, you touch it, and it lasts for 24 hours or more on those surfaces. So it's, it's not so much the severity you know, of the illness. It's a bad pneumonia, and God knows any pneumonia needs to be taken very seriously. No matter how old you are, it doesn't matter. Uh, you got to take that stuff seriously. But it's the, the speed you know, of contagion. You know, that is just really, really alarming. You know, and on top of that, on top of worrying about whether or not you're going to get sick, whether or not I just made my kids sick, you know, you, on top of all that, you now have to put economic insecurity, you know, uh, <laughs> before anything else. People are still going to be worried about going to the doctor. You know, people are still, you know, uh, going to be worried about going to the doctor because they got a cough and it's just a cold, but they don't know it. It's coronavirus and they know it, but they can't afford it. People who get sick, they, with this level of fear, yes, it may just be your garden variety flu. Maybe it's just a sore throat, but this level of panic you know, should not be met with the fear of, I can't afford to go to the hospital. I can't afford it if it's going to be a bill that is going to, yes, great, I'm not dying from coronavirus, but I just lost my home. 60% of the population can't afford a $500 emergency. And people made these choices to put us in this situation. Our leaders, if we want to call them that, made these choices. And, you know, they made the choices that, oh, we have to give everything to businesses. Things have to be efficient. These were all choices that were made, and we can make different choices. And if you're armed with this knowledge of how the economy really works, you can really start demanding different choices be made. Because this fucking sucks. I mean, look around. This is not good, the situation we're in. And we don't have to be in it. Yeah. And if if, if all they do is just give everyone $1,000, I'm not against 
you know, shoring up income. You know, as far as I'm concerned, that's income relief. But if one thing should be perfectly clear right now for everyone that's been uh, scrambling for a UBI, universal basic income, I am not against a BI, a basic income, but a UBI, if that's all you do, uh, is not going to produce the results that you want. You give someone $1,000 a month, you've basically subsidized their wages uh, because you haven't put in place any protections for workers. You haven't mandated wages. You haven't mandated working conditions. You've basically subsidized slave owners because uh, no one can live off of $1,000 a month. You're going to have to find some kind of work. Uh, so you've basically told Jeff Bezos, hey, it's okay. You know, pay them whatever you want. Pay them nothing. Who cares? We're giving them $1,000. But you, you're basically that money is eaten up in rent, utilities, before you've even gotten to food. Uh, it doesn't really produce uh, anything. Uh, and if we should be seeing this quite clearly right now because if everyone gets money, uh, which again, I'm not saying they shouldn't do, but shelves are empty. You know, it doesn't matter how much money you have. If there's no goods, services to purchase, then you're still poor. And what goods and services there are, if everyone is competing for those goods and services, all you've done is create inflation. It's back and to what you said is, about the allocation of resources and how we distribute. Yes. Now, you know, I'm a communist, so I'm going to argue a slightly different allocation of resources than you might. But we can both agree that the way we're doing it right now is not mm -hmm. working. And that, that this is our wake up call that At we can change least, things. We can agree that everyone should have housing. Everyone should have food. Everyone should have you know, an, uh, an opportunity for employment. Everyone should have what they need to live and thrive. I'm not saying it should be luxury for everyone. I'm saying that if you're uh, lazy, if you don't really want to do much of anything, that's fine. But you know, the richest society in the world should not mandate that you be homeless, that you be destitute as a result of that. If you're lazy... I suggest that it's because you're either not challenged or because maybe you have a you know, chemical imbalance. Maybe you need mental health services. These things should be provided because it is in society's best interest for you to be your best person, your best self. You will provide more for society as a productive member uh, than not. This I do agree with. But if you, I disagree with if you are not able to be your best self, if you're not able to rise above whatever demons you have in your head, you shouldn't be fucking poor and homeless. There should be a roof over your head. There should be food in your belly. There should always be possibilities. I'm not saying there shouldn't be a top and a bottom. I'm saying the difference between the two should be really, really shorter. Right. Well, now it's just a different worlds. Like our poorest and our richest people do not even live in the same universe that what we have not here. Course. Not even close. Someone, uh, someone at work today said, you know, now that we're all self-isolating, they saw some rich person on online, you know, doing a video saying, hey, we're all in this together. We got to be in this together. And you can see, you know, on the screen behind them is the clearly the interior of this huge mansion, you know, with every conceivable, you know, <laughs> technology around them. 
and oh yeah, dude, we're in this together. I'm sure we are. Oh yeah, so. I'm sure. <laughs> No. Well, it's no. been great talking to you tonight. Let's get yeah, some uh, plugs in for what you're you're involved in. MMT Mondays on Real Progressives. Yes, uh, I thought it was important. You know that I get. You know that an economics lecture is not everyone's cup of tea. Uh, but then again, uh, myself and Steve Grumbine and you know, uh, Jeff Epstein. You know, and a bunch of other people. We're entertaining you know and we certainly know what we're talking about but we also don't have the credentials that stephanie kelton does so i thought it was important uh, that there be uh, a one-stop shop once a week you know we're going to be rebroadcasting their words you know we're not going to rebrand it we're not going to try to parse it out or paraphrase it this is what stephanie kelton had to say this is what bill mitchell had to say this is what warren mosler had to say and i would posit that even conservatively, most of them are still very entertaining. Bill Mitchell may be a little dry, but he's very funny. Stephanie is incredibly engaging and funny. Uh, so, it, so I thought it was important that that be the case. So I intro it. You know, I talk a little bit about it at the front and the, and the end. But every every Monday on Real Progressives, uh, both on Facebook and on YouTube, uh, we're presenting a new lecture, a new series, a new you know, whatever, a new roundtable discussion, uh, different topics. Sometimes it's an MMT explainer. Sometimes it's not. Uh, but it's all MMT-centric, designed to help people hear it from the horse's mouth. You know, so that's, that's me every Monday. Uh, but if you do want um, a presentation that may be a little bit more down to earth, a little bit more accessible. I did uh, my own 55-minute uh, MMT explainer in addition to what uh, what I mentioned with Heather uh, the last time I was on the show. Uh, this one's a little, it's more like a documentary, but not exactly. Uh, so you can always check that out to get more in-depth about what we're talking about. Uh, so yeah, that's that. Uh, thank you so much. It's been great talking to you. Hopefully this will, again, piss people off to demand change. <laughs> that's my goal is to get people so fucking angry at what they're seeing that's, around them that they demand the change. Because yeah. look around. This isn't good, guys. We are not in a good situation. And it's up to us to demand things change. No one's going to give us more. that change. We have to take it. Yeah. If so. I could just say one more thing, you know, about it, because I'm Jeff and I, I always do that. <laughs> uh, just on the idea of demanding change, you know, I, I get into a lot of you know, arguments online with people that would con consider themselves to be centrist. They consider themselves to be liberal. They consider themselves to want the best out possible outcome. Uh, but they're also centrist and pragmatic and incremental. And they think, yes, we're going to get there. Yes, we're going to get there. Yes, we're going to get there. And to that, I say, how long? You know, because we've been saying we're going to get there for the entirety of my lifetime. And we're, it's, not, it's not like we're even almost there. No. You know? We're farther away now than we were when I was a child. Uh, but I would have sympathy for these people. I would if there truly was no other alternative if we really were financially constrained if there really were real resource restrictions you know and that was the reason why you were pulling back you know from going for everything that we needed okay there really are no other alternatives but there are 
You know, I understand you don't like Bernie Sanders. And I'm not saying vote for Bernie Sanders. I am saying that no matter who gets into the White House, if it's, God have mercy on our souls, Joe Biden, who said he would veto Medicare for all if it came his way because of the cost, despite the fact that it costs less than our current system, uh, it doesn't matter what he wants. What he wants is completely and utterly immaterial. When you understand that we have the options, we know how to get this done, and we no longer accept the bullshit answers of why they won't do it. Oh, it's too expensive. Oh, it's too radical. Oh, it's too this. Oh, it's too that. I don't care who gets into the White House. I don't care who gets in the House of Representatives. What they said on the stump is prologue. It's past. What they're going to do has to be what you tell them to do. Right now, they listen to their donors. They listen to pressure. And that pressure is coming from their donors. You need to flip that script. You need to make sure that the pressure they feel more than anything is your pressure. That is a choice you very much have. If we had no other choice, I have sympathy for you. But we do. And you're simply not making that choice. You're allowing them to control the narrative and to browbeat you and to drive fear into your hearts that if we go for everything, we might lose more. That is simply not true. You go for the brass ring. You fight for what is possible, not what is likely. You fight for what is possible. And you do that and you get your neighbors to do that and we win. There you go. (laughs) To my listeners, thank you so much for joining us today. We try to be the voice for the stories you're not hearing that much in the mainstream discourse. You know, I want, like I said, I want you to get angry. I want you to get this knowledge and use this knowledge to change the world. I'm not subtle about what my goals are. I want a socialist (laughs) revolution. (laughs) I tell everyone that listens that's what I want because we can do better. I always close out my show by saying that the future is ours to create. Go out and create it because it is. It's yours. Like, Just go out there and make the world better because it can be so much better. The future is yours to create. Go out there and create it.